Bible reading is from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 28, beginning at verse 3, and that's page 300 in the church Bibles. Page 300 in the church Bibles, 1 Samuel 28, beginning at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one at Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Then the woman saw Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant. And let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. 
he got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she slaughtered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Wonderful, yes. So do pick up uh, the Bibles in the chairs and turn to page 300, where we had our reading, to 1 Samuel chapter 28, beginning at verse 3. Before we begin, let me pray, and let me use some of the words that we've just sung. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Lord, wherever we are at with you this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, you would move us by your Spirit, and Lord, please open your word so that we may hear you speaking to each one of us. And we ask this in and through Jesus' precious name. Amen. Great. Well, I'd like to start with a confession. I am rubbish at sticking to recipes. I am rubbish at sticking to recipes. One of my favourite dishes, as the staff team uh, will have found out recently, is paella. It's a lovely Spanish meal with rice and chicken and peppers. But it has to be done my way. It has to be done my way. I think I may have once glanced at a little part of a recipe uh, out of the corner of my eye once, but since that time, it's, it's my way every time. My paella, my way. Now, this has its downsides, as you can imagine. Sometimes I think it, it tastes quite good. Sometimes it's great. And my wife, Claire, she's really good at complimenting me all the time on, on, on the paella. But sometimes, I have to be honest with myself, it's not that great. I take a mouthful of it and it tastes a bit like cardboard. You know, there's just no taste there. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, even if there is a recipe for the perfect paella, I'd rather do it my way. I'd rather do it my way. You see, if I get paella wrong, it's not so bad, is it? I'll have another opportunity to make it again. But there are some things, aren't there, that we only have one chance at. Only one chance. And the biggest one is life. We only have one chance at life. What I want to ask us all this morning is can we rely on ourselves to get the recipe Right. If we try and live our lives our own way without God, how is it going to turn out? Well, the sad and sobering story that we see today in 1 Samuel chapter 28 is a picture of what it looks like to not live life God's way, but our own way. And it does so by telling us three things that we're going to look at. 
that God's ways are always best. Our ways often aren't. But there's still time to show humility. Firstly then, God's ways are always best. And we see that right at the beginning in verse 3. Look down at your Bibles and we'll read it together. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Now firstly, <clears throat> excuse me, this is setting the scene for what is to come. It's saying Samuel the prophet, who was there at the beginning of this book, he has died and that King Saul during his life had, had kicked out, he'd got rid of all the mediums and the spiritists in the land. But notice, before we even get to what this chapter is talking about, there had been a time when Saul was making good choices. He was making godly choices. <coughs> Here it says that he had expelled the mediums. That means he obeyed God's word to Moses back in the book of Leviticus that he should remove any people who made a business of speaking to the dead. They were not to be in the land. You see, these mediums would cause God's people to, to stumble and to be defiled, to be made dirty and, and, and led away from him. They were dangerous, and that's why God said they had to be removed. They were no good for his people. And it was this word that Saul at one point had obeyed was how God was protecting his people. He was preventing them from harm. And these mediums who, who we go on to see, like those who even today claim to speak to the dead, are dangerous. They are dangerous. God does not want us consulting with them in any way or in any form. He wants to protect us, protect us from being defiled and from drifting into spiritual things that do us harm. God's ways are always best. And God's ways are always best because he is more powerful than anyone else. In verse 7, Saul has tragically turned his back on his previous obedience to God. That's why we're told about it, because he's had such a, a change of heart. He's turned his back on God's command. He goes out to find a medium, someone who can speak to the dead. And Saul really, really wants this to work. He even goes in disguise, covering up who he is. You see that in verse 9, he goes in disguise. And then in verse 11, he asks for this medium to, to bring up the ghost of Samuel. And the whole time we're thinking, Saul, what are you doing? What are you doing? But as soon as she does this, something happens. Look at verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. As soon as the woman sees Samuel, sees God's prophet. She lets out this, this enormous squeal. She is terrified. She's terrified by this power. You see, whatever power she has as a medium, she has no control 
She has no power in this situation. She's terrified. Remember this. God is greater than any other spiritual force. God is greater. He is more powerful. You see, there's a, there's a faulty kind of thinking called dualism. Perhaps you've heard of it. Dualism. That teaches that, that good and evil, well, well, they're kind of balanced. They're like weights on a scale. God and the devil, they're, they're kind of equals and we're waiting to see who's going to win. It's not true. It's certainly not what the Bible teaches us. God is so much more powerful than the devil and all other spiritual things. And this woman who we see in this passage here, she symbolises all of that. She symbolises every other kind of religion and, and, and spiritual thing that is not from God. And how is she reacting to God and his power? She is screaming with terror. God is so powerful that it's terrifying. And we look in the New Testament and we look in the Gospels and we see how Jesus relates to those spiritual powers. The demons, they they flee before him. They, They get down and they beg him for mercy. He is so powerful. There's no dualism, none of this balancing stuff. God is the truly powerful one. And his ways are always best. And God's ways are always best because he is trustworthy. Look at verse 17. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. He has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. So if we turn back in history, while, while Samuel was still alive, before he had died, he had predicted something. He had predicted that because of Saul's disobedience, the kingdom would be torn out of Saul's hand. And it was happening right before his eyes. Saul knew it. And that's why he was, he was desperately trying to hunt down and, and kill David to somehow stop this prophecy from coming true. I want you to imagine that you go down to the beach. It's, it wouldn't work on this beach unless we get a very low tide, but a beach where there's sand. And you go down to the sand and you, you put your hand into it and you pick up a great big clump of sand. I want you to imagine squeezing it, just gently at first, and then getting a bit firmer, and then a bit firmer, and then try and really tightly squeeze the sand as tight as you can. What happens? You open your hand, and there's nothing there. It's all fallen through your fingers. That's what's happening here. And that's what's been happening in Saul's life as he's desperately tried to cling on to power in his own way by by tightening his grip. It's fallen through his fingers. Just as God said it would. God's ways are always best because God is trustworthy. When he says something will happen, it will happen. He is trustworthy. And that's what's happening here. And it means that because God is trustworthy, there are serious consequences. Look at verse 18. 
Samuel continues speaking to Saul. He says, Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. You see, while God's ways are always best, there are serious consequences for those who don't follow them. Serious consequences. You see, Saul was meant to be king over God's people. But back in chapter 15, when God had commanded him to, to wipe out the whole army of the Amalekites, who were, who were Israel's enemies, he instead decided to disobey God. Now I wonder, if a bit like me, that there's a part of you that almost wants to feel a bit sorry for Saul. You want to feel a bit sorry for him. But what I want us to see is that the qualifications of God's king have to be so high. They have to be so high, the qualifications for God's king. The king can't just pick and choose which of God's orders he wants to obey. The king's obedience has got to be God's orders, God's commands, and the perfect obedience of the king. Otherwise, that relationship will be broken. The people will suffer. There will be disunity and division. And because, actually, because the Amalekites weren't wiped out, we later go on to see what they do in response to it. But we'll leave that for another week. But this whole idea of the perfect obedience of the king... That's what this is pointing to. And that's why even great King David didn't stack up in the end. God's people need a king who will not hold back from perfectly obeying God. That whatever the king is called to do, he will do it perfectly. You see, the failure of King Saul and all the other kings points to the need of a perfect king. And we know that king came and that his name is Jesus Christ. And though Saul, he failed to be obedient, well, King Jesus was obedient. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, even in giving us the king that we need, God's ways are always best. They're always best. But this is where it starts to get closer to home. You see, we also see that our ways often aren't the best. I wonder how you react to that statement. I want us to look now at some of the reasons why Saul is doing what he's doing. Because our motivations actually are often very similar. Firstly then, just look at how much he is full of fear. Look down at verse 5. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. And then let's look at verse 20. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone. You see, at this point, King Saul's entire motivation is fear. It's fear. Not not fear of God, not this right kind of fear that the Bible talks about. 
lovingly respecting God. It's not that kind of fear. It's a personal fear. It's a fear of losing stuff. A fear of losing his kingdom. Losing his honour. Losing his title. So what does he try and do about it? Well, firstly, his fear drives him to sin against God by seeking out this medium, even though he'd previously got rid of them. He was willing to be driven by the fear and go and find one out. And when he does and and he meets Samuel's ghost, well, the message hasn't changed. In fact, it's even worse. Look quickly at verse 19. The Lord will deliver both Israel and and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Samuel says that the next day Saul and his sons will die. He tries his own way, doesn't he, to get rid of this fear. Whatever he can do, and it just gets worse. It just gets worse. It's like trying to cure an addiction by using more and more. It just gets worse. And I think this is one of the reasons that despite the fact that we live in a country with a, with a greater quality of life than nearly any other place in the world, we live longer, we're healthier, we're richer, we consume more, yet so many of us are anxious. And Christians are not immune. They're not immune in the slightest. Even pastors. Many are anxious because they're afraid of losing something or someone. Whether it's money or status or or relationships or whatever. It's become something that people have to have. But the problem is, and the reason why there's the anxiety, is none of those things last forever. They don't. They don't last forever. And because of that, they can't fill the places in our hearts that only God can. Only God can. That's one reason why why so many of us are uh, are, are tempted to be anxious or even driven by fear at times. We're scared of losing stuff. Which means our ways often aren't the best. Well, the next reason and why we are like Saul at times is that we are often self-centred. Look at verse 15 in the Bibles. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Saul tells Samuel about what's happening. He gives him kind of an an up-to-date account of what's going on, but look at the twist. He doesn't talk about the danger that God's people are in. He doesn't talk about God's honour being on the line. He says, me. Me, 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 me. Five times in one verse. I'm in distress. The Philistines are fighting me. God's left me. He doesn't answer me. Tell me what to do. Do you see? He's completely closed in on himself. The sphere in Saul's heart has driven him into a place where his only concern is himself. It's painful to look at, isn't it? It's really awkward. And maybe because it feels a little bit too close to home. 
Can we picture a time in our lives when, when we've been like that? We feel like we've had to look, to look in. We've been so turned in on ourselves. I just need to get my life sorted before I can really care or really help or even pray about anyone else. Is God challenging us this morning to address that? In the letter to the Galatians in the New Testament, Paul tells the church to carry, to carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. That is the antidote to self-centeredness that we see here. So let's think about it for the church, for Bishop Hannington. A church where we can support one another, whatever we're going through. Where we can literally carry each other's burdens. Grieving with those who grieve. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Don't we want to be that kind of church? Not self-centered, not looking in but Christ-centred and looking out. Also, our ways often aren't best because our arrogance deafens us. It deafens us. Look at verse 6. This is a hard verse. Let's try and think about what it means. Verse 6. Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Now, those were were three ways that that God could have spoken to Saul. But as it says here, the Lord did not answer him. Now, these verses look difficult. Why isn't God answering Saul? Why isn't he answering him? We know in in Psalm 5, which, which King David wrote, that the Lord hears our prayers. But in the very next line, it says, he also opposes the arrogant. The arrogant. Now, who is the arrogant? Well, the arrogant is someone who thinks they can live their life without God's help. Without God. Now, if I'm in my kitchen and I'm cooking my paella away and I've got it all stirring away, I've just started throwing the rice in there. And all of a sudden, who knocks on the door? But Senor Felan Adria. The greatest, well, one of the greatest chefs Spain has ever produced. And I say, wow, Senor Ferran, great to see you. Do you know what? I'll take your ingredients. I'll take your utensils. But I don't want you. You can stay outside and I close the door. That is pure arrogance, isn't it? It's so rude. But actually, not is it only just rude, but it's going to stop me from hearing what I need to hear. I just want his things. I don't want him. My arrogance will stop me from getting the help I actually need to get the recipe right. And in the same way, Saul is looking for the help he wants, but not for the helper. Saul shows us someone who is is trying to do life his own way. It's painful. It's full of fear. It's self-centred. 
And he's only listening to himself and not to God. Now there is that potential for those things in every one of us. None of us are immune. But that's why our ways, left on our own, are not best. They're not best. But there is still time for humility. There is still time to show humility. The sad thing about King Saul is he never did change. He never did change. He was never that humble person. He was so turned in on himself, he never showed the humility that he needed to. And that's why we need to take an honest look at ourselves, maybe this morning, and see how much are we like him? How much are we like him? Well, the difference, though, that we have, that Saul didn't have now, is we have time. We have time. Look at verse 20. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. Saul knew that he had 24 hours. There was still time, but he just crept back into his fear. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to be the same. We may only have 24 hours. We may have 24 years. We may have longer. But the reason why we can have confidence that we can actually change, that we can actually be different from Saul, is that we have a king greater than Saul. That's what it comes back to. We have a king greater than Saul who makes it possible. Do you believe that God's ways are best? Do you honestly believe that God's ways are best? Or do you think it's a bit of ours as well? Well, let me point you to the cure for our arrogance, our self-centeredness and our fear. And it comes, well, one bit in the New Testament from Peter's first letter. Let me read it to you. It's from 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Apostle Peter writing this, he he ties all of these together. It's interesting, isn't it? The arrogance, self-centeredness, the fear. He says, with your arrogance, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. If you're self-centered, well, don't look in, but look out to God. If you're fearful, throw it all on him. He is strong enough to carry it because he cares for you. You see, when we acknowledge before God and we acknowledge amongst each other that our ways are not the best, just like my paella isn't the best, but actually there is a better recipe and God's ways are the best. When we acknowledge that, we humble ourselves. We do that and we discover that through Jesus, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness for our old ways. And we discover the power of his Holy Spirit in us and in us as a church to live as humble, obedient, joyful friends of God. There is still time. But which recipe will you choose? Let's pray.
Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Lord, we acknowledge and confess before you this morning that in many ways we are not too dissimilar from King Saul. We all have that potential. But Lord, we also acknowledge that there is, there is a better way, there is your way. Lord, by your spirit, help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to admit that our ways are not best and your ways are. Help us to know your forgiveness and to know your power through your Holy Spirit to help us live lives your way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.